Welcome, everybody, to Mute Your Mic, you know, the podcast where three women, this time four, you know, ask you to turn your mics off and just listen to somebody else for a change. So this week, joining me and Aaron, we have Briggsy and May. And those of you who are regular listeners of the show, you know how we introduce new guests. So, Briggsy, tell us your favorite color and your favorite ice cream. My favorite color is yellow. And my favorite Ooh. ice cream at this moment, because it changes every year, uh, is butter pecan. Ooh, that's a good, that's a yeah. hard-hitting choice. Num, that's num, that's num, pretty num. up there. Satisfying. <laughs> Yo, can I before I before I get to May, May, I'm gonna steal your thunder for a little bit. I found <laughs> okay. out Friendlies has a cotton candy ice cream with pop rocks in it. Ooh. Okay, I'm gonna write So that anything I've ever said, listeners, about ice cream or candy or cookies or food is all out the window. The new <laughs> the new king is cotton candy ice cream with pop rocks in it. It's it's the best thing ever. Uh, May, what is your favorite color and ice cream? Okay, I would say that my favorite color is teal. Interesting. Uh, which is what color my hair usually is, so that makes sense. And then, it's closer to a team color that you're affiliated with. I mean, yeah, also, it's very sea, though, and I feel like I'm, I'm very sea, angry sea siren, Um, so... That's how we roll. And I, my favorite ice cream is the Ben and Jerry's flavor fish food. Oh, hell yeah. Let's <laughs> get old school. Yeah. Wow. So that's, like, that's a good pick. Yeah. It's chocolate ice cream with little chocolate fishies. Uh, I, I, it's very whimsy. And then also we stand Ben and Jerry's. So, you know, every other company's like, we're going to give some money. Ben and Jerry's like, nah, we're just going to tell you all suck. They got that yeah. real old, like, Jewish guys. They got that Brooklyn energy. Yeah, and I read recently that, like, when they, they like, they try to source their ingredients from, like, really ethical sources and, like, look at, um, like, groups and areas that have been, like, either, like, because of, like, a natural disaster or something have had, are, are struggling, they try to source their ingredients um, from those places, which I feel like is such a really cool initiative. And, and what? Like, yeah, Yo. really, really... Uh, there's a lot of really cool companies recently that I've been looking into as far as like their fill like their philanthropic goals and like w what it means to, like their actual brand identity. Um, so Ben and Jerry's and Patagonia just like are two really really amazing ones. If anyone wants to look into them. Oh All right, God. so Ben and Jerry's, if you're listening, this podcast, we love you. <laughs> and um, if you want to sponsor us, we do have the one and only Aaron Ashley Simon. So like. <laughs> You know what? I wouldn't mind an ice cream sponsorship. Actually, one of my goals is to have my own ice cream at some point. Like my own. Like your own official flavor or like yes, a Yes, a flavor. I mean, yeah. listen, investment into an ice cream company, that could be another thing too. But having like my own flavor that I that I make. And I, I'll have to think of a cool name for it at some point. Well, all right, well, by the end of the episode, hopefully you'll have a name for your ice cream. But like what? <laughs> is your flavor because you obviously have it thought out like there's no way you bring that up and you're like i don't know what it'd be no i really don't i just <laughs> i love ice cream like i literally i'm the kind of person who orders i, I like, i'll legit order ice cream before a meal that's the kind of person that i am and like i love ben and jerry's half baked it literally has bits of like the best parts of just ice cream in general and then on top of it too i feel like 
ice cream, they're just not like typical things that like celebs or pro players or anything like that go for, even though like everyone and their moms eats ice cream. So, or at least for the most people, but I don't know. I feel like that's just like a, like a high check mark that I want to like knock off my, uh, my goals list. I'm, I'm about it. So today, I mean, we will probably end up talking about food more because <laughs> I think, I think this is a cast of foodies. And so like, it'll, it'll probably somehow find its way into the conversation. But my lovely voice, as some of you know, I'm on vacation, so I'm not going to be working as hard this episode. So instead, uh, I'll be having Aaron do most of the talking after I finally shut the fuck up. Uh, we're going to be talking about sort of the path to pro and not in the way that you're probably thinking, because a lot of you are probably thinking like either tier two or or uh, challenger series or academy leagues. No, 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 no. When we're talking path to pro, we're talking youth we're talking like youth efforts and stuff and i know that this is a topic that aaron's been talking about a lot so i'm gonna shut up now and let the one and only aaron ashley simon take over the mic <laughs> thank you amanda uh, yeah so we're gonna discuss this i think it's super important uh every time we talk about path to pro like you said always think about professional players but what about the path to pro career and just additional spaces for for the youth so uh, the one thing, uh, I guess the first area that I would like to, for us to touch on first is just discussing our overall, just the overall landscape that we see in terms of that path uh, for a pro career in esports and gaming. Is this something that is evident? Is this something we need to work on? What does it even look like right now? Uh, May, I, I would love to start with you, especially since you have, you know, a career with such an, a, a highly established organization in the space. Yeah. Uh, I think that one of the really interesting things about esports is that the path to pro is really dictated by, in a lot of ways, by the, the game itself. Um, we're so used to like a traditional sports model that it's like really hard to, that's sort of like the, the base guideline that we set. And then we kind of like compare esports to that. Uh, and it's just, it's really different. Um, you see in like games like Fortnite or uh like that content is a really big part of like becoming pro and what that means um whether you're the best player or you're just like a very very skilled player there's like different levels of prodom in a lot of ways and then you have you know with your leagues like with league of legends you have things like academy things like scouting grounds that are a little bit more structured as far as like finding talent and showcasing talent and, and sort of creating this space where people can see that progress happen um there's lots of collegiate esports happening now and the structure of that is still getting worked on which is really interesting and sort of how that happens in the next five years will it be the same as like college sports uh where you where you see a lot of problems with college sports right as far as like players not necessarily being um supported in the ways that they need to getting the education that they need to and then also being compensated for sort of like the value that they bring and that's so different from esports because just like there's a game that's involved. Um, and then we're seeing a lot more now that there is like high school leagues that are starting up and middle school leagues and a lot of different youth programs. And so at Cloud9, that's something that we've really taken interest in. Um, and so now we have training grounds, which is very much like a youth development program of coaching 
and developing players and educating parents is a big part of it. Um, not every parent, like, I think even now wants their kid to be like an esport pro. So it's a really fun, exciting part of what I do uh, with Training Grounds is talking to parents a lot and like keeping them up to date on like what being a professional gamer means, what like the reasonable expectations they should have of their kids and what the communication between like kids and adults and what that means for like, if they want to pursue gaming. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Is that, does that answer all the questions? <laughs> no, you're wrong. I know. <laughs> <laughs> answer it again. That's no, kidding. <laughs> I gotta do it all over again. Uh, but, but what about you, Amanda and Briggsy? Like, what what are your thoughts on just the landscape and what you see right now? Uh, so I think, like, I, I, I mean, like, yeah, I've, I think May did a perfect job of sort of explaining the sort of professional esports side, sort of like, you know, especially with, like, League of Legends, uh, how there's sort of kind of a path to pro. Uh, I've been way more involved in the FGC lately. And, you know, there's not really a path to pro in the FGC, right? Because, like, it's an open bracket system. There's tournaments all over the over the country. You know, anyone can enter, right? Like, you could practice Mortal Kombat for, for a couple of months and enter CEO, right? There's no sponsor requirement. No, you know, somebody has to pay some, like, exorbitant amount of money for you to compete. You know, like, when you go to, like, a DreamHack, right, there's, like, you know, a cast amount that a team has to pay to get in for, for CEO, it's like 70 bucks, right? Like most people can kind of float that if they actually want to compete at a high level. So I think the difficulty for something like fighting games, right. Is, uh, you know, how do you do it sustainably, right? How do you, how are you able to continue to compete at the high level and like, get to more than just events in your country? How do you get to, you know, compete in Europe? How do you get to compete in Japan or Singapore? Right. And so I think that that sort of where the path to pro kind of gets a little blurred, right? Because what makes you a pro isn't necessarily a clearly defined thing, right? Like we had IDOM win the Capcom cup last year as an unsponsored player, right? No sponsors, no no big money. He wasn't like a pro who like like Knuckle do when he was competing unsponsored. At least like he had won Capcom Cup and used to be sponsored. So like he was sitting on money that he could use. Like this is this is your true average guy, right? Who who made it all the way to the top. So and that doesn't happen very often. So it's a little bit murkier in the FGC as to like what a pro is and how you become one. Briggsy? Yes. <laughs> um, I think my experience with Path Pro, I think mine is somewhat limited, and I mean this in the best way, and that's because I'm sort of new in the esports scene, I guess. Um, it's just, for me, with Overwatch League, like, I've just, I'm a novice when it came to Open Division Tier 2, Tier 3, Tier 2, and then Overwatch League, and so I just recently learned about it maybe two, three months ago, and the things that I've heard and seen about it, it's weird because they have not given it, they simply have not given it the, the support it needed, point blank. And I do believe that it was partially because of how Activision has handled things since they took over Blizzard. I think it also has a lot to do with how the new commissioner took over, what the new commissioner has done since Nate Nanzer left. I think a lot of it had to do with that because you saw the difference between season one and season two almost immediately. 
with the changing of the guard. You saw all of these people come and go, and especially after 2020, it got worse. You saw all the good people come and go. But what I saw especially was how they treated tier two, how they treated contenders, how they treated, they just didn't give it any attention. Like it was all self-promotion. And it was astounding that they got the attention they did just by promoting themselves. And it's really bad that the only reason now that it's getting more traction, one of the reasons that is, was because Fran had that community chair, the community event. And I'm just sitting here like, oh, now you pay attention? What took you so long? Don't get me wrong. I love what Fran did. I am in awe of what Fran did and I am never gonna knock on that. But I think in terms of Path to Pro, how Overwatch League is seeing that and how people in general are seeing that, it could have been so much more than what it is now. And it still can be. It's just that, at least from my limited experience, I don't think enough attention is still being given to that. And it's a shame because that's how you get new players. If you don't trust in your open division, in your tier three, tier two leagues, where are you going to get these players from? So... Mm -hmm. I just hope that changes, <laughs> but this, this is, again, this is just coming from a fan. I'm not an insider or anything. This is just me watching, um, these things unfold and just shaking my head. That's okay. I mean, we all have our different perspectives and we all came in at different times. And before we get a little more into the nitty gritty, uh, I, I do want us to all kind of go through and just talk about how we ourselves entered into the scene. Uh, because, you know, uh, of course, we're discussing that path to pro in terms of professional players, but I also think it's so important and it's a very distinct path for us to, to, to be in the industry in some shape or form, you know, whether it is as someone who is a, a fan and, and is watching the scene heavily or those who work in the scene as well. Uh, so where did you guys all get your beginnings into this space? What was that pathway that started for, for all of you? Uh, so mine's like really long and windy. Uh, it's, I, I, Time it's, for a trip. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm much older than people think I am. I'm, I'm, I can't remember how old I am. I'm either 33 or 34. I can't remember. I think I'm 33. Time is a constant. Um, yeah. Most and people me. think I'm 25. So like, thanks mother for the wonderful Japanese genetics. Um, so that's great. But yeah, so I played... I the first PC game I ever the I ever played was WoW. I was like 23. My boyfriend played, and he was like, "I'm going to work. You should play this WoW game." And I was like, "Okay." And he came back eight hours later, and I was just like, "Mana worms must kill all the mana worms." Uh, and so I was just like super into WoW for like years and years. And then um, I was in college, and I kind of quit playing. And then this game came out called Star Wars: Old Republic. And I was like, oh, well, this is wow. And something that is like my, the other love of my life is Star Wars. I have two Star Wars tattoos. I, I love Star Wars. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a, a, uh, an MMO for Star Wars. I'm playing it. So I ended up playing with some like real life friends who had played WoW together. And they ended up being like really competitive. And I ended up being in like an NA first world third progression guild. I was like one of the top um like sorks on like in North America for like rating and arena and, and things like that, just like, because I'm really competitive and I hate it, you know, like that's just my, my personality. Um, and so that sort of like started this whole thing. I had never been involved in communities before and people were like inviting me to be on podcasts and talk because 
I was like writing guides and I, I had never really like done anything in gaming communities before. Um, and so I started podcasting and that went really f- well. And then when I stopped playing that game, I went to play Heroes of the Storm and somebody who was also in there was really active in the WoW community. People were looking for casters and they were like, oh, May, you should cast your great at speaking. And I was like, sure, why not? So I did that for a little bit. Um, and then I got into tournament organizing because I I really like to learn things. And I was like, this is really fun. Like, I want to try it. So I was doing tournament organizing and I ended up working with Blizzard um, with this group called Heroes Hype that Eunice, uh, this, I, I don't know if anybody knows, I think a lot of people know Eunice, uh, that Eunice had called Heroes Hype that was like a tournament production community, grassroots community organization. And we ended up working for Blizzard to run their sort of like path to pro for Heroes of the Storm. Uh, and while I was doing that, uh, Cloud9 needed an operations manager. And because Eunice had worked with me, she sort of recommended me for the job. Um, and I had a lot of the skills that they needed. Uh, and it was a position that they like hadn't had anybody in before at Cloud9. Um, but they needed somebody to sort of like come in and be this like point person between the upper management of Polly, who's the COO, um, and then sort of like the teams and sort of keeping track of everything. Uh, and so I started at Cloud9 two years ago, a little over two years ago um, as operations manager. And now I'm the operations manager and the head of Training Grounds, which is their youth development program. Long and windy. <laughs> Don't worry, mine's more straightforward. <laughs> Then you go. <laughs> uh, it's easy. Um, I showed up by accident. I just wanted to go to an Overwatch League game. And I the first game I went to was to see the Houston Outlaws and the Los Angeles Valiant in April 2018. And I honestly had no interest in doing anything else and just sitting there having fun. But I had a lot more fun than I anticipated. And that sort of turned into, uh, over time, me being known as the Los Angeles Valiant hype woman. And so I was the one on TV, you know, cheering on for the Valiant, no matter what, because, you know, I was always a sports fan. I've been a sports fan since I was like seven. So to me, this wasn't any different than me going to a football game or a baseball game. I think the only difference is instead of balls, we have computers. So I treated it with the same respect. And what I wanted to do was, you know, I just didn't have any other motive other than making sure everyone had a good time. Everyone was able to you know, watch the games, enjoy themselves. If they had never seen a game before, you know, I would give up my front row seat so they can have better viewings. I would show them around the arena, you know. And then eventually that evolved into uh, journalism. And I wrote my first article about the grand finals in 2018. And I just basically wrote ever since. Um, But due to certain circumstances that I unfortunately will not, I'm not ready to speak about publicly, um, even though it kind of unfortunately fits within the current climate, uh, I took a year off. Well, actually I was forced out and forced to take a year off out of Overwatch League for probably beginning of 2019 up until now. So this is me. It allowed me to have a more objective view on the league and the people involved from the fans up into the senior level. And that's what allowed me to comment on it because instead of me feeling as if I was obligated to the league and obligated to blizzard to constantly defend their actions i felt as if that i could justify any criticism that i had over the fact that i genuinely love overwatch and i genuinely love what it did to me but i also hate what it did to me so right now i just stand as a freelance journalist um mainly overwatch league since that's mostly my background along with cosplaying 
and other things that I tend to do when I get bored. But that's how I got here. Amanda? Hi, sorry. Uh, I was listening. Uh, so uh, for me, um, I've always been a fan of video games. It's been something I've done uh, all my life. Uh, I went to school for journalism. And when uh, I finished school, I had a couple of friends who were working for a like women uh, video game uh, website. So it was like a women's perspective, not just only on like video games, but like nerd stuff and geek fashion. And they wanted someone who could write about uh, League of Legends and Magic the Gathering, which is uh, two things I knew a little bit about. And I would just write guides. This was like back at like season four for League. I would write guides on like what was going on in pro play so that like the average like bronze and silver person wasn't just brain dead copying things, but like understood why it worked and how they could try to implement those strategies at the level that they are. Because sometimes things that work in pro play obviously don't work at the lowest tier of play. And that kind of just snowballed into doing other stuff. I interviewed Richard Lewis uh, way, way, way back in the day. Uh, that got me noticed by a lot of people in the industry because it was a pretty good interview. Uh, then I got asked to write for Esports Heaven. Uh, that got transitioned into uh, being the you know editor in chief over at uh, what is now Dot Esports, but back then it was Gamers. Uh, and I've just kind of you know been coasting ever since. Not that I haven't been hustling, but in the sense of like it just kind of became an opportunity after opportunity of like, oh, you're really good at interviewing, so we want you to be at this site, or you know hey, Riot's looking for people to write for the LEC. Uh, back then it was the EU LCS. Oh, hey, we know you. We Yeah, we totally want you on the on the freelancer team. So it was just, you know, the hard work I was putting in just kind of kept getting me more and more opportunities. Um, and I've done a lot of different things in the esports space. I've worked alongside May with Cloud9 as a diversity consultant. I've uh, been, you know, an editor-in-chief of websites. I've uh, worked as a media trainer for EXO Academy and some smaller FGC teams. And I've been a talking, floating head on esports broadcasts, like this thing called Cheddar Esports. Uh, rest in pepperonis. <laughs> yes, R.I.P. Cheddar <laughs> I love how you end on that note. Oh, was I supposed to end more positively? Like, let's go. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes, positivity. Uh, yeah, so uh, mine is very short. I've done media work for 10, 11 years, was in traditional sports media. Then I was in music media, worked at Revolt TV for Diddy, was a producer there, and then I made my way over here and at Cheddar Esports, like Amanda said, RIP to that. Uh, RIP, but also kind of a little bit of a blessing disguise that it ended for various reasons. Not with anyone on the team, but just the conflicts that you have with higher-ups that do not understand esports or gaming. Um, and yeah, so now I'm here. Uh, but the most important thing is everyone's experience is different. Uh, but, you know, in, in some ways, we have been very uh, fortunate to be in the positions we are. And there are various individuals who just don't have uh, access to whether it's to the appropriate uh equipment resources information or even education so how essential do you guys think that education reform and accessibility is toward to the overall growth of esports 
Uh, so personally, from my perspective, you know, once you really start talking more about this, you know, a lot of people ask why the FGC is more diverse. And it's because uh, accessibility to a console is a lot higher than saying, you know, a high end gaming PC that some of these esports require. Um, so I think having better high school, like starting even at like the high school level, right? Uh, esports programs sort of starts to bridge that gap. Right. You know, it's something that we sort of take for granted, I think, in like the, the path to pro for like traditional sports. Right. You play soccer in, you know, your youth league or your police league. Right. And then you realize you like it. So you start maybe you play for a travel team or maybe you play for your middle school and then you play for your high school. And then you hope that you're either good enough to get scouted or that you can be walked on for a college team. Right. But what do you do for that for esports? Right. You know, they talk a lot in North America about how difficult it is to break into League of Legends because it's not about getting becoming a number one draft pick, right? It's about I have to be in the top 0.5 percentile of the player base. And even if I am in the top 5%, 0.5 percentile of the player base, I might still not get picked up by a team. And sometimes, you know, there are players over the years who have discussed sort of their frustrations about like, how do I how do I even get on teams radars? How do I even get into and like, yeah, Riot has created scouting grounds, but that's kind of been viewed as somewhat fraught and kind of a joke. So it's really this thing where like if maybe we had a real pipeline from high school, you know, maybe even starting in the middle school level, all that, you know, feeds into collegiate and then collegiate becomes this real thing that actually, you know, is used more by pro teams for scouting, I think that would be really great. Uh, I know I just kind of rambled for a bit, but I, I do, I have really started to come on board with this idea that youth esports is the way that I think you create a more sustainable path to pro system. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so like a few things, you so many good points, and I just like want to add on to like a lot of them. Uh, the first one is like you mentioned like a few times like youth leagues. So like I come from a sports background. Like I play traveling soccer. So I'm and I played like you. You start out with like community soccer, right? You your parents sign you up. You get assigned on the team. You have practice one day a week. You show up at the community soccer field on Saturday. And sometimes your beer you have to bring oranges for lunch, right? Or for the halftime snack, right? So how how do we implement that in esports right and it, it is so needed um but there's like so many obstacles right like where do kids play like do you have like centers where that are like those fields where kids can play like how do you do all this and so it is super important it's something at training grounds that we're doing is like our we start at 13 right so like i have 13 year old kids who are in this program that are doing league of legends right because like they sign up and they want to learn for, about league of legends from their coaches so there isn't that much sort of integration, especially from like really reputable sources, right? Like you can go out and look and you can find League of Legends camps. And some of the people you have like no idea who the people are that are holding these camps and like what they're teaching kids. And like, it's just like a, a camp that people put their kids into. But how do we make like a, a really robust program that we're teaching kids like their right values, like how to be a good teammate, how to communicate, like how not to rage, like how to view the people on your team when you're in solo queue and you're not having a good time. Like, how do you treat them respectfully? Because you have learned the tools of like what it takes to be a professional gamer and to have that mentality. So yeah, like youth league stuff is really interesting. Like how do we do that? It's something that like we're looking at in Cloud9, um, like with training grounds is like creating that youth league and creating that structure. Uh, and then just like about like educational reform in general, 
it's you want high schools you need high schools to offer this kind of programming you need them to have esports clubs uh so often now you're seeing like resources being taken away from public school systems uh before i was in esports i was a public library i was a youth like i did youth services at a public library so um you you see a lot of kids in the library that like their parents aren't home and after school they come to the library and it's what they do for four hours after school every day they, they don't have internet at their homes they don't have computers at their homes always like not, all the time um so they use those services at the library and so like creating spaces where kids can like have access to computers and have access to games where it's so much a cultural thing now right like there's kids that i would say the library who didn't have computers and didn't have consoles uh, but watched Fortnite videos just so that they knew what was happening like in pop culture so they could go to school the next day and sort of like be included. And it, it's like heartbreaking to see that, right? And so it's really important to me to figure out how we sort of like give that accessibility that Amanda talked about. Like that they're the beautiful thing of FGC, right? Is that it's so much it's so much more accessible than PC gaming and console gaming. Um, so how do we how do we make it more accessible? And I think that like schools are a really big part of that, and having schools buy into sort of like esports programming um, and using like can, these existing spaces, like where there are already computer labs, like to have these programs and really like create an amazing space and and more kids into gaming, right? Like maybe the reason that there is no talent in NA is because there isn't enough kids playing League of Legends because you can't have all the best people that could play this game because only one percent of the population can afford pcs to let them play on it uh so it's super like it, that accessibility is really important and is like such a big part of that reform Rigsy, uh what are your thoughts on like accessibility and education and that being an important part for for esports and gaming as a whole i think in general the issue here I've had with that is that a lot this kind of myth is perpetuated that you can substitute esports careers with education. And I kind of have an issue with it. And believe me, I didn't get my college degree personally, but I think especially when you're a kid, um, you have to have that sort of balance. Like it reminds me when I was younger and I wanted to play video games all the time, but my mother was steadfast in saying, you cannot play video games until you finish your homework. And given the fact that our educational system is inherently sort of broken in the way that it's being done, I think it's really important to have that sort of access in esports and to let people know, not necessarily to say that esports isn't the way to go to for a career, even though it's difficult, like any other professional career you would have. But I also believe that I want them to know they have options because especially with the amount of burnout that's been happening with players and coaches and staff and you know, everybody knows about the mass exodus of 2019-2020 when everybody's just leaving Overwatch League to go to Valorant or whatever the heck, or even to continue their education because they know that, you know, if you're a player, it's kind of difficult to sustain. If you're a coach, you're working crazy hours. If you're managing, God only knows. And I think especially when you're a young kid, I think that has to be instilled that not necessarily just that education is important, but you have options. Like you can enjoy it. Like people say, you know, if you work somewhere long enough, you stop enjoying it. 
And we are seeing this a lot in gaming and we're seeing this a lot in esports. And I think when you provide people options, especially children, especially, you know, high school and college students options, along with being able to play games for a living or being involved in that industry, you're going to have a better output either way. Yeah, 100%. I mean, ultimately, I think the, the most important thing with education and accessibility is that utilizing esports and gaming as a vehicle for success, right? If they don't want to pursue a professional player career, there's still an opportunity for them to utilize those platforms and utilize those resources that they themselves can be successful, whether they want a career in this space or not. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, it starts with the fact that there are various youth that just don't have an opportunity, period. And whether it is to play, whether it is to learn about coding or anything like that, they just don't have access and, oppor and opportunities. So it really, it really all starts with that. And then refining the programs, you know, like you were just uh, kind of like what you were mentioning, Briggsy, where it's like that additional educational factor. So, you know, they can be successful in life. Uh, so in addition to that, right, um, with these accessibilities and these programs, uh, where do we see the collegiate scene playing into the overall infrastructure and growth of esports as well. Uh, I know. So there's like an interesting thing where like I would love to see athletes because like I think college is important for a lot of reasons. Uh, and if it, like not that college is like the only way, or even that like finishing college is the only way, but like I feel like there's a lot of benefits that college can have and like i would love to see pro players like after they're pro athletes because a lot of them are like 19 when they start being pro athletes right? like, they come out of high school or it, after like midway through college and they get picked up by a team and then they, they go into pro esports and then a lot of them are done by the time that they're like 25 or 26 right so i would love to see those athletes leave pro and then go into college and play in collegiate esports and like mentor other players that could then turn those players into pros but isn't that what like yellow not yellow star um who was it used to be support for tsm I don't um know. tsm one of tsm supports went back to college and he was very involved at his college's um uh esports program and, and, yeah, and that's completely escaping me at the moment I, and I think this. that's great, right? Because they have like real knowledge. They can help players. Alex Chen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I've talked to X Special, and he his mentality on it is great, right? Like he's he's very about like creating like sort of like the next esports pros, and like some of those are going to come from college, and I think that he's really um, it's important to him like to develop players that way, and as just like another sort of. I don't know, like stream that like builds into the river of like how pros are, are coming into scenes. So yeah, I think that's it. And there should be more of those people, right? And like actually like playing on teams even. Um, because like people would want to come to esports things to see their favorite player or players that they like, right? And it just like we're in, and like there's a lot of, there's obviously like issues with like the collegiate sports, right? But I think that, like, the fact that, like, creating an experience that people, like, want to watch is always really important to the, the success of something. Um, so, yeah, I think that that would be, like, a cool thing if, like, if if there was, like, it was really encouraged of, like, LCS players to, like, after they retire from LCS and, like, want to pursue school, uh, that they would, like, go that route and not just, like, fade into obscurity all the time.
In, in addition to that, like, what do you guys feel? Um, what area or what space? Maybe it's all spaces. I think not. Not only is it about the development and adding, you know, additional pathways for people to go pro, but also the discussions about creating more comfortable environments for uh, women to go pro as well. And we're, I mean, obviously, there's multiple areas that we need to tap into to, in order to do that. But where do you feel like is an area that we could really, really start with right now? I think one of the things to recognize is the work that uh, AnyKey is doing right now. So AnyKey, as some of you may know, is a part, a formerly a partnership between Intel and ESL. I believe it's just ESL right now to promote diversity and inclusion both in esports and in streaming. And uh, one of the things to like think about in that is that uh, Johanna, one of the one of the members of Key, she's been working a lot with collegiate esports about you know how do you have an actually diverse and inclusive um, program because you know a lot of a lot of these schools they want to have a diverse program but they don't always know um, they don't know what that actually means right so they've reached out to Anykey Anykey's doing a lot of work to sort of make sure that these programs know how to be more inclusive and what that actually means and I think you know working with people like me and Briggsy like Briggsy I know has also you know been trying to do some consulting work as well. Myself, I've worked with Cloud9 and a few other brands. I think the fact that these orgs are starting to realize, and maybe it's, I mean, it kind of helps what's going on in the world right now, that I think a lot of orgs have realized that we have have a lot of social power and we need to be using that better. You know, I'm not saying any org is necessarily using it wrong, but better is probably the best way to say things. And so I think we're seeing that esports is realizing that like, hey, we don't have to be like traditional sports, but there are some things that we could be doing better like traditional sports does. And I'm I'm somewhat confident that esports will continue to grow up, right? Uh, I've been saying this on the FTC programs that I've been on lately that like the FTC that I was a part of in 2014 and the FTC now are two different FTCs, right? The fighting game community has grown up a lot uh these past these past five years and i'm seeing it in other spaces too so like even though things aren't amazing uh, it's definitely a growing pain and i think it, i think we're we're moving in the right direction if, is the needle moving fast not so much but at least it's moving I, i've been i've been a part of some industries where the needle doesn't move at all I think that the reason that part of the reason that it moves so slow is that like we're really two generations away from like when women are really gonna like come into esports. And I know that, that seems like really, really long, but the reason that I believe that is because it's gonna be like when it, there's like it takes 10,000 hours to be a pro at something, right? Like that's like the the catchphrase quote that's thrown around. So when you, you at the like the child level at when they did all these experiments that they put two babies in a room one um like a baby girl and a baby boy and they put a grandparent or a parent or like an adult in these rooms with these kids and there was all these toys around and just like the idea of the toys that we give kids when they're infants is so based by these perceived gender like norms that it acts as even like a developmental thing so little boys are given tools that there's like cognitive reasoning and sharp edges and they have to problem solve where girls are given soft toys and um like kitchen and house things so like even the way that we start with like we educate kids is something that we need to change in order to have a generation of girl gamers that it gets to be at the same 
playing field as the boys because they start at the same age. They are learning the same skills at the same age. They have the same opportunities. And so it's like our generation having kids, the generation that's a little bit older than us that are ha- that had kids and them giving their daughters video games and giving them those those toys to play with and letting them have access to to gaming younger is like when you're going to see that needle really move like jump forward. Yeah, and I also think that like the continued representation on so many different levels helps with that too, right? Cuz like many of us, you know, we are uh we're we're, we're in our late 20s and 30s, right? So with that, when we came up, we didn't see so many people that looked like us or were other women in certain areas of space in esports and gaming. And I feel like as more and more are being added on so many different areas, you know, I think that that's going to help contribute to a, a lot more girls being like, oh, I can do this, right? Because um, sometimes it takes that representation for some for some little girls to find the confidence in themselves to continue on with that. Because we all remember what how it felt to be to, to be young. You know, we 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 had our own we dealt with self esteem and all these different things. Um, but having that those faces help. I think another thing too is um, especially for the companies that are, are really trying to help. It's so important, even when we, you know, go to schools or colleges or anything like that. I was actually talking to someone um, and how, you know, they really are trying to help get more young girls involved. Uh, but when I I asked him, and, and he has great intentions, but I asked him, I was like, did you have a woman come? Or was it just you, like a guy? And he was like, oh, it was just me. And I'm like, even that is the littlest thing that may not encourage girls to want to be in the room. Like if you had a woman there, she may be like, oh my gosh, like I I can be there. You know, oh, this is so cool. I feel more comfortable. Even the slightest things of being self-aware of just these minor moves that we as those in the industry do can also help with encouraging more, more young girls to even come into these meetings and these environments where we're discussing all these things. Yeah, so so kind of like a like a happy thing. Like we're being positive, right? Okay, so we this so we just we're doing like the first Cloud Nine Training Grounds camp right now, and so it's League of Legends based, and it's kids from thirteen to seventeen is the age group. Mm-hmm. So there's fifty kids, seven of them are girls. Yeah, so let's go. Like, that's like a pretty. I we knew, here. I knew we were gonna have some girls, right? I was like, no, oh, yeah, we'll have a few girls, but seven girls is like a big number. That's and almost a fifth, though. So that I'm like, I'm about it. A lot. Yeah, it's, it's fourteen. What it's like? Yeah, fourteen percent. So I feel like that's really, really exciting. Um, and then also. We have like one of the coaches of the camp is Vienna and she's like a top one of like she's like a grandmaster player, right? Yeah, um, she's real we, chill. Yeah, she's wonderful. So like she's a she's one of the counselors and the coaches, right? So all these girls like have a role model right there, like of a girl who's very highly rated, like in League of Legends and is there for them and like talks to them and, and is that person that they can talk to. So it's you're right, it's super important to have those role models there for people to feel safe and feel like they have someone to talk to and someone to look up to. Um, so yeah, it's really actually, yeah, so seven, yeah, seven girls, which is really super setting. And it's pretty much the, all the coaches say that one of the girls is probably like the best player in the camp. She's on her secondary role. So like there, it was because like League of Legends, like everybody wants to play AD carry in mid and jungle, right? It's really hard to find supports and tops. And so she's actually 
a mid, but she has to play support for the camp just because like that was the spaces that were available. But the, all the kids were playing Aram the other night, and she was on a Nivea, and she was just like three, four, like pentakilling everybody in Aram, <laughs> and all the kids Ruined were like their watching lives. and like screaming for her. And it was it was the most fun thing, and it was just like a super heartwarming thing. But yeah, so you're seeing it more, but it like it's creating spaces for them to shine and feel encouraged and like these safe places to develop, right? Like it's mm-hmm. so important for us that like positivity and communication and being like a responsible adult and and like an adult like being like but being a good teammate and what does it mean to be a good teammate and to have excellence in a game you also have to like work on being excellent yourself and what does that mean Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah so it's like this really fun sort of yeah a really positive story about girls and gaming (laughs) i mean there's some other stuff that we're doing with cloud nine uh on a different diversity front that i think we could probably talk about right with like the LA LGBTQ Center? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we definitely are, have talked to LA LGBTQ Center. Um, it's, like, I, I talked about how, like, access is really important to me. So, like, I, how do I, how do I do that? Like, how, what tool, like, using our sort of, like, using the fact that, like, Cloud9 is, like, a pretty big org, right? And we have all this visibility and, and we have the ability to do these things. Uh, how do I give that accessibility to the, to kids? Um, and, like, even give older kids, like, the the community that gaming provides, right? I think that, like, one reason that I love gaming and a lot of people love gaming is the community that's there. And especially kids, like, that are, or young adults that are in, that are, end up, um, like, living at L.A., um, the LGBTQIA center, it's they like were kicked out of their homes. They they aren't in situations where they feel safe or they have communities for people to rely on. And how do we give them access to gaming? Because one of the most beautiful things about gaming is those communities um, and, and giving them that found family that I think is really important and and like treating them like giving them like sort of the the space to sort of maneuver with people and and work on communication and teamwork when those maybe skills that they've they haven't had to use before and, and use it in a way where they can experiment and try um and it's not like a, a real world experience you know like experience but like a real world application but is something where they can like move in these spaces and operate and communicate and be on a team um in like a really fun setting and yeah so access is really important that's something that i really want to do with training grounds i also want to like work with like a school school different schools um in you know areas where like the access to computers like isn't there and like building computer labs in these places and like giving kids that don't have access to computers like an after school program where they can go play sports like they can go play league of legends they can go play uh fortnite and like they would just like get to participate in these camps like through scholarships and things like that so uh yeah really accessibility and using this platform to educate it at different socioeconomic levels yeah, look, hey, I'm, I'm love that. Look, shameless yeah. plug for the work that for like the work that I'm involved in. But I, I thought it was important that we we talk about the holistic things we're doing because like we forget, I think sometimes that like there's yes there's there's a disparity uh, disparity between like women in esports. We know that there's some cultural disparities depending on what scene you're in, but there's still also a disparity between like queer representation in esports, which I think, uh, you know, hits home for a lot of the people on this cast as uh, we're all queer women of various identities. You, 
Yes, guys. I I'm love the it. only. I'm the only lesbian. This is. I'm, I'm surrounded by bi people. I thought they didn't exist. I don't know how this <laughs> no, happened. Yeah, we, we we're just mythical <laughs> unicorns that exist on the spectrum. Somehow, all three. I, I found all three bi women in esports and put them. They're all in one bi- podcast. That's lit. You know, I kind of actually love it. I love it quite a little bit. So now people know we aren't extinct. Um, I'm memeing, guys. Please, listeners, don't think that I don't believe in bi people. I'm just joking. Please don't kill me. Amanda just compared us to coelacanths. We just disappeared for a few decades. People thought we were extinct, and then we just come back, and all of a sudden we're bigger and better. That's it. Well, Remember like, like the joke about bi people was like, oh, bi people are just selfish. And I was like, yeah, whatever. What of it? And I'm like, yes, I can have my cake and eat it and bake it myself. I don't know what else. Oh my gosh, it. you guys can like choose whatever. You guys have everything. As if there's not like problems with one or the other. It's As if there's like, no problem with both genders. Like, come on. <laughs> that's exactly oh. how bisexuality works, apparently. I was I was told, fuck it. <laughs> Look, we'll have we'll have our pride episode next week, and oh, we'll, we'll yeah. address we'll address representation. Oh hell yeah! Oh, maybe God. maybe we'll have our first guy on the show. We'll have Ooh, try and find I'm like down. gay man. I'm down. Yes. Man, oh, yo, who we should talk to? Stress. We should ask Stress to come on. Uh, he's a he's a GM for Mad Lions. He's an out uh, gay male in esports. Oh, that's fire. So maybe we can try to link up with stress. He's a, James O'Leary is a pretty cool dude. So maybe we'll, we'll reach out to him and see what happens. Random quick question for you guys. Why is it that people associate short hair with being a lesbian? Like, I get it. You know, the L word. That is oh, actually a good question. I, Holy shit, I have but, short hair too. Holy fuck. I mean, I, I thought... perpetuating the stereotype. Oh, no. No, because I always thought that was weird to me as well. Because I'm like, I only know short hair because of my cousins on my dad's side. They all had shorter hair. And mm-hmm. none of them were lesbians. So I never understood that correlation. I'm also black. And so I know a lot of short hair women who are straight. That's what I'm and I saying. Think that that's, I think that's a cultural that. thing. I'm not saying that, like, maybe? there's no such thing as, like, a, a short haired like, I'm not saying that maybe, like, this is anecdotal, right? I think that's, like, a very important thing to say. But, like, I grew up with a lot of short-haired black female friends and yeah. family members who were yeah. not lesbians. And maybe they were secretly. Like, maybe <laughs> I didn't know. But, like, most of the out lesbians that I knew grow, like, especially towards, like, my teen years all had long hair. So, like, this, like, short-haired lesbian thing that, like, you saw in the media... I was like, wait, are all of my friends lesbianing wrong? I feel like it's a stereotype. It's funny I've had people like to diss me. They're like, oh, she's a lesbian. And I'm always like, well, I mean, half, yeah, but like, <laughs> I, I think it's. I think it's that there's like a cultural, I think it's a misogyny thing where like women are supposed to have long hair, like long hair that men can like oogle over, right? So like if you have short hair, it's, it has to be because you don't want men to look at you so you're a lesbian. I mean, I mean, I Aaron's do type cute. Things. I don't think she needs long hair for people to oogle her. Actually, I think Aaron's right because I remember uh, several years ago I cut my hair really short, actually as short as Aaron's. And my father immediately was like, because he's like old school Puerto Rican, so he immediately was like, what the hell? Why'd you cut your hair? Like, you look sure you look like a lesbian. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, look, <laughs> you, your, your, your literal aunt has short hair and she's straight. Are you kidding me? Like, and, but I feel like my brain, brain broke. 
like remember like i don't think that until like the like the i want to see your manager haircut i feel like it wasn't like really like but i mean like look at like willow on like willow on uh buffy had like shorter hair she had a bob cut and then like in a lot of like tv shows and movies if a character came out as lesbian right they like cut their hair you know it was like their well, they got mad dead ends <laughs> Yo, wow. I mean, Erin has been swinging about other people's hair since like, she's been on this show. I mean, but like, it's wrong, characters And she said Becky with the good hair. Like, yo, she's just always calling people out. But where's the lie, though? Men call the split ends. That's the thing. I call it. So then when you drop the men, you gotta drop the split ends. Oh, my God. <laughs> Listen. Yo, question, question. How many of us have seen But I'm a Cheerleader? Me. I have. Okay, <laughs> I know Aaron said it like I don't want to admit that I've seen it. <laughs> no, isn't that like? But like, wasn't that like one of those movies back in the day? When we were trying to figure ourselves out. It was like one of those movies you like ended up watching anyway. Well, that old. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> that movie is hella old now, <laughs> and so I wanted to just date all of us in one foul swing. Hi, Hi. <laughs> I mean, it is twenty twenty. Yo, look, I'm, I'm okay with being old these days. I walk into a press room and I have, like, nine years on, like, most people. I'm okay with getting older. I've definitely heard from, from other people. As you get older, like, things get better as a woman in some areas. So I'm like, I'm all for it. I agree. I'm, I'm down. I'm 32. I'm turning 33 this year. Hey, all of us are <laughs> old. Are no, just kidding. Oh. Hey, Briggsy, oh. how old are you? Wait a second. Are, are, are you the baby of the podcast right now? I don't think so. Uh, I'm 33. No, I am. Fuck, I'm... Oh, yes! I'm vengeance baby. for Jimmy Basco. I can I can get revenge for him. But Jimmy's like an actual baby. <laughs> like, like, people didn't realize that him and I are seven years apart. Like, I'm 28. Well, because you look hella young, and Jimmy looks like an infant. So, like, they just assumed you were the same age. Oh my gosh, that was always fun. People were like, oh, aren't you, aren't you like 24? I'm like, no. And then you and Zane would be like, oh, baby Jimmy. And Jimmy would have to take it because oh he was the youngest by far. Oh, poor Jimmy. Uh, but my last question for you guys, I want this to be something really, really fun uh, and also sure. lighthearted. Tell the viewers and listeners one thing about yourself that they don't probably know. That's like a really cool, like, fun fact. I lit the Rockefeller Christmas tree. You licked? Lit. I, I was the. Oh. Have, you watched, have you ever watched like the Rockefeller Christmas tree special? And they get like a they get like kids to like light the tree. Yes, mm-hmm. that makes much more sense than what I. So in pre-K, uh, I went to like a special needs uh, element, like uh, preschool, because they thought my ADHD meant that like I had I was like not able to learn. Um, so I got picked, uh, you know, that my, with my mixed ethnicity look, right. You know, I hit, I hit a bunch of ethnic points that they didn't have to look for. Um, but I got to like go to New York city and like hang out with Al Roker and like all these other kids. And then before the tree lighting, they like pointed to like, they like, were like, all right, who wants to, who wants to, you know, be, be part of the show. And like me and this little girl, our hands shot up super quick. So we got picked and <laughs> what people don't see on the videotape, because like we have it, I've recorded on VHS. I watch it because I'm I'm weird like that. Uh, is that there was two buttons, 
and they're like, they ask the little girl to go first and she picks the wrong button. And then they're like, all right, Christopher, what button are you going to push? And I'm like, well, duh, I'm not going to push the button the white girl pushed. So I like <laughs> slammed the other button and I got to lift the tree. And then I went home. My parents were like, oh, you were there with the tree lit. And I was like, I did it. I did it. My parents were like, of course you would. Of course you, you'd say that. You're supposed to share share the achievement. I'm like, nah, it was me. <laughs> and it was trouble ever since. <laughs> But I lit the tree. It was me, not that little white girl. <laughs> they can have other things, but they can't have that. No, it's my tree. <laughs> uh, what about you two? Um, trying to run through. Uh, I mean, I pole dance. That's pretty. Much That's sick. I mean, I, yeah. I, I watch your twerking videos. Thank I don't you. know how that comes across, but I watch no, them. No, it's no, it comes across fine. I mean, I wouldn't put them on there if I didn't want people to comment on them. <laughs> um, no, I, I actually started pole dancing at the end of December last year to like cope with everything, and I'm kind of rusty because of quarantine and stuff. But I just put up a poll, I think, a month ago, so I'm able to practice that. But I do it honestly because it's weird in esports how they sexualize women so bad. <laughs> Hey, hey, positive, positive, positive. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm getting to it. Um, but the <laughs> thing is, um, the positive part about that, it's like, okay, bet. And so I was always the type of person who had agency over that. Like, I like the idea of having control over my own body, over my own strength, over my own agency, instead of having, you know, gamer boys control that, considering, you know, I'm 33 and they're children. So it's just nice to have that sort of activity amongst my, all my other ones outside of, you know, esports just to remind me of how, you know, incredible the human body can be. That's it. Oh. Yeah. That's awesome. It uh, it's so much body control, too, with that. It is. It's about control. It's just like, you know, being able, like, it's amazing what the body can do in general. Like, even beyond the whole, you know, sensual nature of it, it's just like the way it moves and how it flows and you can, like, lift yourself up. And it, it's insane. Like, it's really fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. Hey. hey! Two fun facts. Hey, <laughs> your turn. Um, fun fact: I went to school, like to college, for forensic anthropology. Okay, Doctor Temperance Brennan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which so it's. Has I'm giving you bones from now on. Now, <laughs> and I like love it. Like I specifically like love like any sort of. <laughs> Like, yeah, cultural, like, prehistoric, early man, like, cultural um, sort of, like, bone comparison that can, like, you base, like, gender studies off of is, like, specifically what I'm interested in and, like, went to school for. But, yeah, uh, so, like, gender studies and, and bone studies. So that's a kind of interesting thing. May, you're, you're, I'm changing your name to bones in my phone. It's over. <laughs> I wish she <it> was genius. <laughs> <laughs> um hmm. i think the, the one fun fact that i have is that uh well one i used to skateboard and snowboard but i actually had a trainer that wanted me wanted to train me to become a professional snowboarder because i was that good as a kid of course <laughs> what? What does that mean? Because I've so seen cool. I've seen teenage Aaron pictures that you've shown me, and you look like the girl that snowboarded. 
Well, I mean, I was definitely, I mean, one, yeah, I was a tomboy growing up, and two, I was like- You totally look like a character from, like, SSX. I mean, remember, too, remember back in the day when you actually had to, like, you went outside and played with your friends, and we didn't no, have- No, I, I, I don't know that. There's always been quarantine. Haven't you known? It's been going on for, like, 100 we, years. We didn't have smartphones back then. We had the brick phone, Nokia, and, like, the closest thing we had to social media was, like, AIM, but then we had dial-up, so you had to, like, actually go out and do stuff with friends and not on the yo my space was so. lit though top oh, mine no. top oh mine oh top eight used to ruin friendships though people used to get so upset over that <laughs> yo i used to have people bribe me to be in my top eight but i have to say tom was always in our top eight <laughs> nope i dissed that mofo real quick <laughs> you got rid of tom yes same man Tom's out living his best life. He's like a pro photographer now, millionaire, like, he's out here living his best life. Good for him. Yeah, you know, know, started from the bottom, which is top eight for all of us, and now he's at the top. (laughs) Wait, so being on nobody's top eight means you're on the top? You know, being everyone's top eight, I don't think is an accolade you should have, because there was like an auto, auto Tom was added to everyone's top eight. That's fair. Oh, man. But yeah, Amanda, I think uh, I think I'm done for uh, hosting oh, okay, today. Okay. I'll let you cool. uh, finish it off. Uh, you know, sure. Amanda Stevens is going to finish it. Oh shit! I'm, 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 I have I've less I've less followers followers than you. I'm nobody. Um, oh shit! <laughs> I have I have like one of the least amount of followers for hosts in this space, so it's all right. That's fine. That's true. Uh, so May, where can everybody find you on the internet? Uh, people can find me on the internet, on Twitter and Instagram at maybe buzz. Uh, yeah. Nice. Uh, Briggsy, where can everybody find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on the Twitter at Briggsy Cakes. I'm also on Instagram. If you want to see the dance videos on Briggsy Cakes as well. Nice. V, Aaron, Ashley, Simon, where can everybody find you on the internet? Absolutely nowhere. Oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, Aaron, Whoa. A, Simon on everything. <laughs> uh, and y'all know how I do. It's Amanda T N Stevens on Twitter. But I'm on vacation, so don't don't bother me. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm just a regular person that just oh, that just happens to exist. Stop. No, I'm on vacation. Leave oh, me alone. I'm sorry, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm on vacation. Right. I'm a normal person for like two more, for two weeks. You're right, you're I'm right. I'm so excited. Tomorrow's bath bomb day, it's gonna be lit. Oh, I get I it. I got a bath bomb, I got a lush face mask I'm ready to put on, I got a bottle of wine, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a good day. Self-care, self-care, self-care. <laughs> and with that, folks, you know, things are scary. Make sure you're drinking your water, eating food, getting eight hours of sleep, maybe a little bit of exercise, do something that makes you happy. Like I said, tomorrow's my bath bomb day. Maybe for you, it's eating some fish food or it's making s'mores in the microwave like a weirdo. Um, Whatever it is, take care of you and those around you as best you can. Until next time, remember that sometimes you need to mute your mic and listen to somebody else for a change.